Good, good morning, everyone. Um, my name's Simon. I'm a product developer here at Crockop. Uh, this morning's guest is Leah Brown. She's co-founder and operations director of Origin Kitchen. Starting from the kitchen table as a family-run company, Origin Kitchen uses cashews to create naturally healthy, delicious plant-based spreads and desserts. Uh, we've worked with them to ensure their products retain nutrition, goodness, and taste. The business has scaled up its production to a commercial kitchen setup while maintaining a passion for experimental home cooking and staying free from artificial ingredients. Uh, Leah is going to tell us about how the business started and scaled and how they've recently made their manufacturing service available to other producers. There'll be some time for questions at the end, so please feel free to pop any questions in the chat or unmute towards the end and we can yeah, welcome any questions. Welcome to the webinar, Leah. Hi, thank you very much for having me. No problem. Cool, so I thought we'd start with um, kind of the beginning. So where, where were, what were you doing before you founded Origin, Origin Kitchen and had you always wanted to start your own food business? Okay, so in fact, I've had uh, two careers before I started Origin Kitchen. Um, more recently, I was working in a, in a really unrelated industry. I was working in sales and marketing in education, mainly in universities. Um, so even though it's not related to food or the business, you know, it's a very commercial environment. So that was quite helpful. But my first uh, career was actually in hospitality um, and I was a chef uh, and worked in various restaurants and um, catering. And then in the early 90s, I set up a, um, uh, a corporate and uh, events catering business, which I ran for a few years. So that gave me, you know, my first sort of try of running a business actually so um yeah going back to working in food is uh something I always wanted to do really so um so this time different in that we're making products to sell oh cool so where did the idea for Origin Kitchen come from um and how did it kind of all kick off and come about in the beginning okay so in um the in about 2018, as a family, we went vegan. My youngest son um, then became vegan first. Um, and even though that wasn't very long ago, things have moved massively in that time. But, you know, in, in 2018, the range of uh, plant-based foods available, prepared um, foods, was much more limited than it is now. And there were two things that we really noticed. Number one, in the dairy space, there's plenty of milks and nice milks. Um, you know, there's cheeses, but there weren't dairy products that give you that lovely mouthfeel that double cream delivers. Um, so that was a point of interest. But the other thing was lots of the products that were available were highly processed and felt more like um, science experiments than natural food. And as a family, um, natural, good tasting, healthy food was really important. And that's what we wanted to be um, you know, making for people. So that it, that's really where it um, started from. Then on a more sort of um, granular level, our first product, uh, which is a, a savory spread, uh, where I said I was working universities and taking my lunch to work. And I was heartily sick of either a hummus or a falafel sandwich. So I was like, give me a sandwich spread. <laughs> so and that was kind of like, the kickoff. well, let's make one, shall we? And, uh, and then sell it to others. Awesome. 
did you start that from your own kitchen at home or um yeah we did so um as I said I work with uh, my two sons Ben and Sam and uh Ben actually was the person who did the the start of the hands-on so he was making the products at um home in the kitchen and initially we uh kicked off with um uh, going to markets in North London uh, the timing wasn't great because it was around the same time as COVID started. So that um, limited the opportunity to sort of expand into other um, markets. So from there, we then, uh, my eldest son then um, kicked off the uh, the drive to then get into sort of retail by uh, going to small independent shops in North London. So that's really how we started. Okay, perfect. Very interesting. Um, what were the kind of first steps in developing the range? What products did you start with and what were the main challenges in bringing them from concepts through to launch? Um, yes. Yeah, so in fact, for our first uh, range, so both our savoury spreads and our desserts are, are made on the same um, base, which is cashew cream. And many vegans would have um, made cashew cream at home or sort of know about it. It's, it's something that people make at home. Um, so that's where we started, but actually it took, to be honest, around 18 months to refine from the first sort of attempts at making something, a savory spread with uh, on that creamy cashew base to the product that we um, have now. Um, and that's really because it's one thing to make something small at home and for that to sort of work and be stable enough to sell it you know, in a market where it's going to be consumed within that week to something that's, you know, got a uh, 11 week shelf life is, you know, completely stable, can be reproduced exactly the same, you know, every single time. So I would say that at each step, there are different challenges. So to the first sort of challenges was making a product that actually stuck together and, you know, was nice. Um, and then as we scaled, then it was about how can we replicate that with the tools that we have? And then we, when we scaled again, you know, how could we keep that going? So that's one set of challenges, if you will. The other set of challenges was one of the great things about going to markets is that you get immediate feedback from customers. And therefore, it was about tweaking the recipes, tweaking the flavors. So all of our recipes have been um, tweaked, some radically since inception but there's nothing like speaking to people and giving them tastes and hearing what they've got to say and quite honestly you know if somebody's tasted your product and then pulls out their wallet and but you know buys it then yes you're doing something right um it's really important to to try to to put your product out there in that sort of live environment yeah sounds great so um, in terms of kind of adding new products into the range, how do you go about that? Do you still kind of do the smaller testing first and then refine the concepts um, to then introduce to the, to the range and scale? Yes, up? so our, our second range is a range of dessert style mousses made on the same um, cream cashew base. So in fact, the developing the products with that was much easier because we knew um, it wanted to be on the cashew base. And in fact, they're simpler products to make because the other ingredients aren't cooked that um, they're simply blended. So with that, it was about refining the flavors and getting the balance um, right of the ingredients and also finding flavors which were familiar enough, but interesting. So here's sort of a bit of a sidebar which relates to both. What we've found is um, 
if you particularly if you're a new brand and a new product, the flavors have to be familiar enough for people to take a punt on. If you've got a new product and an out there sort of flavor, uh, we call them Buddha's breath type flavors, I think, which are just um, just too wild and wacky. Some foodies will will um, try it, particularly foodies with enough cash to sort of buy stuff that they might then find they don't like and, you know, it doesn't bother them. But for the average public, there's got to be enough that sounds familiar for people to have a trial with. So what we've ended up doing is make more familiar flavours but just do a really brilliant job of them, and that's what sells. Now, in fact, one of our flavours on the spread, mushroom and dill, we're going to um, take the dill out and put a more traditional sort of French style herb um, base in. So the dill is more Scandinavian and Eastern European, but and people who love it really love it. But for a British public, there's, you know, we get resistance at the market. People say, oh, I love mushrooms, but I don't like dill. And therefore, as much as I love it, it's got to go because it's just creating that barrier. And that's a really good example of they've got to be flavours that enough people will go for because they know they like that flavour. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I think nostalgia, especially in plant-based, is quite a, quite a big trend. People yeah. want to take that step into plant-based, but then they also want something that they're very comfortable with um, from the other side as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, great range of products um so who do you develop your new products for do you kind of find your end customer first and then develop ranges with briefs from them or the kind of the other way around do new product development and then pitch that into your existing customers so our first product um in all honesty was exactly marketing 101 what you don't do which is 1950s style <laughs> make something then try and sell it um uh, because we wanted the product uh but but essentially there is enough um uh, people interested in plant-based food for that to have worked the challenge and we still it is still a challenge that we need to manage it doesn't fit fairly and squarely into many categories um, so within plant-based um, in some retailers um, plant-based is ranged with the um, with the parent category and some it's standalone and that has created a little bit of a challenge for us on the spreads because there isn't a category which is um, savory spreads um, however, you know, we're managing that because there's plenty of space in free from generally. So our second range is um, fairly and squarely. We went, right, desserts. There is definitely <laughs> a dessert shelf. There is definitely a gap for a healthy premium plant-based dessert. And that's where we're going to go. So that's kind of part of the real answer. The other part of the real answer is through that process, we're really clear about the segments in our audience. Number one is um, vegan, so that's kind of primary. And luckily for us, the number of um, fully vegan people is uh, increasing across the UK. And at the moment, it's reckoned to be about 4.5% of the population, which has um, grown exponentially in the last sort of three or four years. But also flexitarian, which is a much bigger um, range of people. Then you've got people who are just interested in natural healthy eating sort of uh, lifestyle people and then the third the sorry the fourth group which we um, think about are food lovers um, so they're the four groups that we're thinking about generally we're thinking about people in that uh, younger age group sort of 
um, 20s in, into mid uh, 30s. But having said that, at markets, we certainly sell to people of all ages. So that's what we do keep in mind. Um, and I think keeping those things in mind, keeping your target audience in mind, really helps to check back and make sure the brand is working. Um, and that sounds easy to do and something that you'd read in the marketing textbook. And as an ex-marketer, I've certainly read that kind of thing in the textbook a lot. But actually doing it is harder than you'd think. But it's really important. Just keep checking back. Who's the audience? Will what we're doing translate? But most importantly, <coughs> are we communicating that? I think that's the bit that's harder. It's one mm -hmm. thing knowing your product would interest those people. But are you communicating that well enough? And we've had heaps of learnings across, uh, across the last two years and refining that. Cool. And in terms of your brand values, now you've got some really um, strong kind of core values. Is that something you've grown into or did you kind of start the business with those values and then they've been present the, the whole way through the process? Um, we've always had those values. I think we haven't always communicated them as well as we wanted to. And that's what we're, we're really focusing on, because I think um, one of the things we found, I'm sure it's the same for the other um, guys on the call, when you're starting a new business, you've got 40,000 things to think about and, you know, 100,000 fires to fight. And it's really hard while you're fighting the fires and doing the doing to yeah. keep focused on those bigger and important things. And honestly, it took us, I'd say, 18 months to two years to find the space to come back around. And in fact, we're just in the processes of um, completely not just redoing our packaging, but renaming our range because the name that we had, Cream Cashew, which we thought explained everything to everyone, explains nothing to nobody. And <laughs> we have to pitch every single time because people don't look at the product and, and immediately understand it even though it says spread on the front and, and mousse on the front there's still what's this so what we realized is actually don't try and describe what the product's made of try and describe what the eating experience is so now we're, we're renaming both the ranges to so creamy um because actually that's what people care about because if they can't understand how they're going to enjoy it they don't care what it's made for anyway they're just going to walk past so yeah that's really interesting <laughs> cool and um, what's your what is your approach to sales and sales channels where did you start and where are you where are you currently selling and what were the learnings along the way okay so our if i start with our end goal and then work back so our end goal like i guess loads of people who um work with you guys is um to be in the molds um, across the UK and then sort of roll out, you know, across Europe and um, in, internationally. So with that in mind, it's about people going to a shop and buying the product. So um, we then first started that, my other son Sam started that in London by going to, you know, individual local shops in North London, which is where we lived, and selling directly to shops, um, which got us going. And then on the sort of back of that initial work, we then um, started approaching the health and health food distributors. So now in, you know, in two years, we're, we're now with the five major um, UK distributors, which is something we're quite proud of actually, because we, you know, we many people have said through COVID is very, very hard to get uh, a new listing and we've managed to do that. And we think it's because the product is very different. Um, 
And because uh, we are able to, you know, it's a chilled product, but we've got quite a long shelf life for a chilled product, which meant that the distributors were prepared to take the risk on it because the stores were prepared to take the risk on it. So it's been very important to us. So now, um, you know, when we uh, present ourselves to, you know, the major, uh, you know, supermarkets and the like, we are able to sell, say we're selling this many thousand units across the nation at this price point which is probably higher than we would sell it at, at a supermarket anyway, because when you're working with a distributor, you have to put an extra margin in. Um, and we just feel that that builds a much more sort of uh, credible story. We do sell a little bit online, but because it's a chilled product and it's packed in glass jars, it's uh, fragile, it needs to be kept cold, and that costs quite a bit of money. And it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's just not where our focus is. We'd rather push people to uh, to go to a retailer. Yeah, that's great. If you manage to get into all the all the big um, distributors, and um, do you have any tips for people on the call on kind of how to approach distributors or get get kind of your first listings within them? Um. So um, we, I I think just persistence. Um, persistence we were our first distributor the health store the um our product just uh, appealed to the chill buyer who could see it was different and could see that that you know that was something that the <clears throat> market would want and so once we got a listing with them we then um would contact other distributors and say you know your customers are buying our products <laughs> From, from you know x or we were still doing directly at that point um and then once one distributor's got it then the second one wants it when two of them have it then the third one wants it and then you know then then it goes on from from there so we haven't found the distributors um very hard to get into the product they have to see the value of the product essentially otherwise um otherwise they you know they, they won't list it and particularly so the chilled because the shelf uh, shelf space for chilled is very small and independent shelves is even smaller than in a supermarket. So if you're going to be on that shelf, you've got to you've got to sell otherwise shops will it might give you a go once or twice, but they won't give you a go after that. So it's incredibly important that uh, the product has has legs and and will stand on its own and that people will cut you know there'll be repeat buy. Oh. Um, if we yeah if we just go on to kind of scaling up the business if you could just tell us kind of how this worked going from your kitchen table into um, a kind of production facility and the challenges you found along the way because of because of that yeah so we did start uh, at home as you said but quite uh, quite quickly when we were in London we moved to. Um, a small unit within um, a complex called Definite Kitchens, which people, uh, you know, people on the call in London may have heard of. So they were um, relatively small um, production units, um, you know, much bigger than a domestic kitchen, but still not very big. Um, so we were with Daphne for about, I don't know, 18 months, probably. Um, the challenge we had there was that, um, 
the space was fairly limited and therefore to expand we would have to take a whole nother unit and then the cost was um uh, prohibitive so the way we looked at it every time we expanded the landlord at definitely would get richer and we would just remain the same which wasn't really very attractive at all yeah. so we took this step of um actually relocating the whole family to nottingham um so now we're in the midlands and we're in a brilliant food park, uh, which is actually um, council owned here in Nottingham. And we've got a, you know, a proper little factory, which is fantastic. Um, so now we have room to expand because that was the other thing. There's no good going after the supermarkets if you're in this tiny little unit. And yeah. with the best one in the world, you're not going to be able to service them through the through the discussions we have had with supermarkets, we've had the opportunity mainly through Bread and Jam to have discussions um, with supermarkets. They, they don't wanna hear about what you might be able to do in 12 months time. They want to look at you now and they want you to be supermarket ready now, even though it might take 12 months to kind of get on the shelves. So you have to be able to say, yes, we can deliver that. We've got the space, equipment, blah, 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 all of that kind of thing. And by being in Nottingham, now we do have that, uh, um, ability really perfect did you ever look into outsourcing the the production tool um not seriously we did once or twice um and uh, one of the ways was coming to mel's wonderful women <laughs> and hearing about out outsourcing opportunities so we put our tongue in the water a couple of times but there was there was some good reasons why we didn't go ahead with that number one because of my background and my and my youngest son is also you know a passionate foodie ben we always wanted to make it ourselves. You know, there's, there's pleasure in making it yourself. So, we, so that was of interest. There are three of us in the team, so that's three sets of hands, you know, that can work together to to make the product. The product's relatively simple to make. So, um, you know, what, once you've got the equipment and spent two years working out how to do it, of course, it's relatively simple. But the other thing is. We've been able to do all those developments ourselves and get the feedback from markets and do the tweaking because we were able to do it ourselves. So if we if we got some feedback, literally on Saturday, we could be working on it on Monday, you know, in the early days, it was it was that sort of simple. So that was really attractive. But the other thing is, um, commercially, nobody makes cream cashew. I mean, plenty of vegans are making it at home. So if we went to a, an external manufacturer, they would have to uh, learn how to make it. Now, it's not, it's not hard to make, but they would expect volume. Yeah, for those reasons, it just made sense for us to do it um, ourselves. The, the challenge of that is it has required a capital investment, uh, quite a substantial capital investment. So, you know, it has been a punt. But as everyone on the call would probably, you know, agree, you've got to back your idea. Otherwise, you're not, it's, you know, we think it's a good product, people seem to like it, and we're prepared to back it. So, you know, that's the way we've done it. I think if it's ambient, it's different because you can go to a co, um, you know, manufacturer and get, you know, three or 4,000, you know, units done in one thing, take them home, have them in your spare bedroom and then slowly sell them while you're waiting. But with chilled, you just can't, it has to be um, little and often. Yeah, for sure. All about supply and demand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, I also know that you offer contract manufacturing for other plant-based businesses or have recently started to do that. Um, how did this come about and what kind of 
products and producers are you looking to support going forward? Yeah, so one of the good things about um, coming up to Nottingham and having this much bigger um, production space is that we have um, we have the space to work with other people. We've also um, are investing in a um, what can only be described of the Lamborghini of food uh, food manufacturing machines, which is um, they're called Robocuba. They're made in Italy. Um, and what it will do is allow us to make our own um, product much, much faster, which means that we've got more time as well as more space. But the Robocubo can do you know, a massive range of different um, uh, products and it's vacuum and um, pressurized, which means that it creates food of the quality that you might make at home. Um, which if you're going to, if you're using big kettle cooking, you just don't have that. I mean, so many food producers find that when they go from home to then outsource manufacturing, all of a sudden their product tastes different. I was talking to a guy at Vegan Life Live who um, had lost Great Taste Awards stars when he moved from making it himself to having it manufactured. And, you know, he was really disappointed in that and saying, you know, well, that's inevitable. Um, so we've invested in a piece of kit which doesn't make that you know inevitable and uh you know not only do we want to work with others because we've got the time and the kit you know that's quite an exciting prospect to be able to offer other people the opportunity to maintain the quality that they've achieved at home but be able to do it in at, um, at scale as long as it's plant-based and gluten-free um yeah, well, we'd be happy to talk to anyone. So we're talking to some source makers, we're talking to um, a pudding firm, and we're also talking to another brand who would like to, who are going to start white labeling some of the products we already make um, with some uh, slight adjustments to the recipe because that's for a, um, a community of people who are um, uh, one quite high protein uh, and and low sugar products. So um, yes, yeah, so what do we think we can offer is a lot of flexibility really, as well as uh, access to a quality piece of kit and the ability to make actually quite small batches for a, a um, contract manufacturing uh, environment. Because I do know that when we were looking, even though we weren't doing it terribly sensibly, the number of units that were required, even for chilled, you know, was sort of, I remember eight or 9,000 at the time when we were, uh, you know, over the moon if we sold eight or 900 in a, you know, in a run. So there's just no way we could have done that. But uh, yeah, we think we can help plug that, that sort of middle ground for people. Yeah, perfect, sounds really exciting. I think with the high shear, um, trying to get that smooth cashew finish as well, that's something that, yeah, if the kit's too big or it's not the right piece of kit, it can definitely affect the quality massively. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Um, what are your plans for the kind of future of Oregon Kitchen? I know we've kind of just really covered that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So um, not only do we want to, uh, you know, sort of get into the malts and become a, a, a national brand, we want to build out the range so that Origin Kitchen always stands for plant-based, natural um uh, and quality but with a sort of under that then there are different ranges so we've got the cream cashew range which is going to be uh, rebranded as so creamy 
then we think there's a space for some natural superfood products. Um, high protein is, is a really um, big trend at the moment, but lots of high protein um, products are made with uh, protein isolates added into them. So they sort of um, taste slightly weird um, uh, and they don't particularly feel natural. And we think there's an area there using nuts and seeds where we could do a high protein but natural um, product. Um, so that's an area we want to look at. We think that there's an area for more development in um, uh, ready-to-go drinks. So that's an area we're going to look at. Um, so what we're hoping is in the sort of, you know, 10 to 15 years, there'll be uh, Origin Kitchen will be a trusted UK brand that people know Origin Kitchen products are going to be natural, healthy, you know, and, and premium. Awesome. Sounds super exciting. Um, so I guess last kind of question, what's the most important things you've learned from kind of concept to launch of the product and just the whole process in starting up the business? And is there anything you wish you could go back and tell yourself at the beginning of the process? Um, very unglamorous, but it's um, managing the costs. There are so many hidden costs um, and everything costs at least four times what you thought it was going to cost. <laughs> Um, and therefore, I'd say um, making sure that you've got just making sure that you understand what those costs are and how you're going to cover them, because it's not just, you know, can I afford the cost of what we're doing today? As you scale, obviously, those costs scale with you. And so therefore, the cash flow requirement, you know, scales along with that. And, you know, you can end up in a situation where you're expanding, expanding, expanding but all the revenue that's coming in is then going to pay for this or that or the next thing. And so you've got to be really careful to be realistic about that. And the temptation to um, undercharge is, you know, it's very, it's very real. And, uh, you know, just try and avoid it if you, if you can, because, you know, the, the big brands can find it out on price. Little brands have got to find it out on quality or, you know, whatever, uniqueness or whatever it is. So, yeah, I'd say just be very, very, very mindful of the costs. Perfect. Thank you very much, Leah. That's been very, very insightful. I think we will wrap it up. Thank you. I hope you, everyone has a great weekend. To listen to other episodes or subscribe to, in your favourite podcast player, go to www.froghop.co.uk forward slash podcast or search for Food Founders Interviews wherever you get your podcast from. Mm -hmm.